0: I want to tell you something and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life from innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory. I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say, it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else and this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes and we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com
1: the seismic revolution in health that we that you see is really not going to come about from a drug or a pill or a stent or bypass surgery but the seismic revolution in health that will come about it will be when we in the profession have the will and the grit and the determination to share with the public what is the lifestyle and, most specifically, what is the nutritional literacy that will empower them to absolutely annihilate chronic illness.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your plant-strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, my Plan Strong pals. My name is Rip Esselstyn. I am the host of the Plan Strong podcast. And we have a very special episode that we're going to be teeing up for you today. In honor of Father's Day, I am proud to welcome my father, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr., to answer your questions. And boy, howdy did he. We talk cholesterol, the good and the bad, we talk exercise, sodium atrial fibrillation, the best diagnostic tests, and of course, all about building an endothelium fortress so all of you understand how you can become heart attack proof. When my father started his seminal research back in 1984, 38 years ago, incredible. He had zero, zero idea how important his research would become and how he would become one of the leading authorities on how to fight heart disease with your fork. And if you haven't read his book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease by Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr., I highly recommend it. Essie, which is the nickname that He was given as a young adult, uh, and as many of us like to call him, is a real taskmaster when it comes to counseling his patients and what goes into their mouth. And as he says, you should never sit down to a meal or go out to eat with the purpose of injuring your endothelium and your endothelial cells. And he means it. Well... Essie is, and has been, a huge inspiration for our plant-strong food line, because we know how challenging it can be to always be prepared with a 100% whole food, plant-based, oil-free set of lunches and dinners, and that's why our ready-to-eat, heat-and-eat chilies and stews, for example, are the absolute perfect pantry staple to guarantee that you're never more than 90 seconds away from a delicious and nourishing meal. At Strong, we strive to meet and exceed my father's standards every day because his groundbreaking research is what started all of this. And for some, their life depends on following this lifestyle to fight back against heart disease, stroke, type two diabetes, and the constellation of chronic Western diseases that are afoot in this country. And we take that responsibility very, very seriously. You can learn more about all of this at plantstrongfoods.com. The privilege to sit down with my father is not for one second lost on me, and believe me when I say that the best Father's Day gift that I can have is sharing his knowledge with all of you. So let's get right into it. My Q&A with Essie, with a few special appearances from my mother, Ann. Hey, we're live. It's showtime. Hey, I am back in Cleveland. I'm doing an event in Pittsburgh, and so I thought I'd take a little detour and spend the night in Cleveland to be with Ann and Essie for a night. And um, I also thought this would be a great opportunity to... Get this guy on the Plant Strong Podcast. It's been a while, and a lot of you have written in some questions that you'd love for him to answer. And so this is the perfect time. Before, you, before we hit it off, though, Ann, say I hello. I have to say hi to everybody. <laughs> you're so lucky to have what you're going to get. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and this is really a tribute to Father's Day. Um and what better way of uh, showing my appreciation to this man than by sharing him with all of you. So let, let's hit it off, okay? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we got a couple here. So this first, this is from Deborah's World Change. Thank you for the question. I am whole food plant-based and have been vegan for 11 years, but I have a 250... Um, 250 cholesterol level. I was 285 before quitting oil. My weight is fine and blood pressure always is very low, and I work out daily. Doc wants me on statins. Help me, Dr. Esselstyn.
1: Well, it's interesting. When you look sort of uh, from a global perspective, you ask yourself about those countries where cardiovascular disease is virtually non existent. And you say, for instance, how many statins do they take in rural China? Uh, How about Central Africa? Uh, The Papua Highlands in New Guinea, the Tarahumara Indians in northern Mexico. No heart disease, no statins. So the key here, I think, actually takes us to a a very interesting uh, problem that many people experience. That is to say, they find that they're... Cholesterol, no matter what they do, it remains say elevated. Maybe it's going to be 190, 200. For example, if I have a thousand patients who perfectly follow our program, there might be some with a cholesterol of 102, mm-hmm. 140, 160, 180, 200, 220. Now, does that mean that all those people who have a cholesterol of 200 or 220 are going to perish from heart disease? No, because if you are eating a hundred percent without any injury to your endothelial cells, mm-hmm. you have more or less b- built an endothelial fortress. So even if you have a few extra molecules of cholesterol coursing through your stream, bloodstream, if you know that your inflammatory tests, your tests of blood vessel inflammation, if those are all normal, you're gonna be fine.
0: So what are some of those now, tests? Well. <laughs>
1: The, the test of the, of the inflammatory profile would be something like the F2 isoproteins, uh, oxidized LDL, uh, asymmetric dimethylarginine, arginine, uh, and myeloperoxidase.
0: Uh, what about TMAO? Is that something you can do? Absolutely measure? you can. Yeah.
1: Sure. TMAO is, is, I'd add that, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, good. Let's, let's move on, okay? All right. <laughs> So this next question is from Karen Brenda and her question is what is the best diagnostic
1: test to check to see if your arteries are clogged. You know there's been a sort of a toss up between getting a calcium score or was getting a CT angiogram and I think that probably the, the weight of evidence is just tilting a little bit more toward a CT angiogram. CT angiogram there's really a uh you just put a little contrast in a vein in your arm then they time it so that when that contrast is going through the arteries to your heart that's when they take the x-ray mm-hmm. and then they can see whether you've got blockages or not it's really very very safe and uh and very very effective for giving you some insight as to what the status of your coronary arteries
0: uh, is, a, is is there a reason why you prefer that to to the um the calcium score?
1: I just think it shows more the the vessels directly, whereas the calcium score just shows you bits and pieces of calcium that are in the various plaques that you've got. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think we may, there may be a question later on, too, that addresses... Uh, Good. The, the <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, this is a question from Stephan Jedward. And... It's about sodium. I'm interested in the role of high sodium. A particular cardiovascular doctor popular on Instagram is promoting 3,500 milligrams of salt with water before exercise. He says sugar, not salt, is the enemy. Also promoting a grass-fed, meat-based, whole foods diet. The data is somewhat confusing or not seeming to be conclusive on salt so I would appreciate this being cleared up. I understand that everyone must have salt and it's naturally occurring. At least 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams per day would be my understanding. Salt is not the ultimate enemy. Super high salt in processed foods with no exercise would be dangerous. We need sodium and electrolytes. And the research is mixed regarding the exact safe amount with the other contributing factors so that's why I asked. It's almost like he tried to answer his own question there. <laughs> so, any any thoughts on salt?
1: Uh, on salt, sure. Yeah, uh, I think uh, there's pretty well as a consensus uh, from very, uh, I think, educated physicians that there are numerous studies clearly that showing that excess salt will contribute to hypertension. And so, if somebody does have cardiovascular disease, you want to try to keep your daily consumption somewhere close to fifteen hundred milligrams. Right now, there's the other question was about meat.
0: Yeah, grass uh,
1: Yeah, <laughs> let me uh, comment on that because there was uh, it was an interesting gentleman, a physician by the name of George Mann, and George Mann was a great uh, disciple of the fact that if if you wanted to eat. Meat that was grass-fed, you would not be getting into trouble with cardiovascular disease. So, to his credit, he uh, marshaled his resources and went to Africa, and they looked at the uh, Maasai. Now, as you know, the Maasai are herdsmen in Africa, and they thrive on milk and meat and blood. And George Mann was able to get something like uh, 50 uh, autopsies of the maasai who had died and lo and behold they're loaded with cardiovascular disease so so much for the grass-fed approach <laughs> right <clears throat> and um but there's so many other things in meat that are troublesome the heme iron the tmao the saturated fat i mean all those things are perilous
0: yeah yeah the cholesterol the the the, the protein itself there you right? go. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a long list. <clears throat> um, all right, let's move on. Okay, this question is from Diana Red Kurt. These these are kind of funny names that people put together. It's it's their their, their handles. What are the heart health tests someone should have at fifty? And are the tests the same if I've been eating a strict Eselston style diet since 2017.
1: So, how many years have they had? Uh, it's now been five years. Yeah, I'm. I think you have to be a little bit cautious about uh, any test in that situation that carries any degree of of risk. And so, if you wanted to do something like a stress echo stress test, all right, there's no radiation, there's no contrast to injure your blood vessels mm-hmm. all right and yet if you have a let's say that uh, this is a situation that I often find that when I first encounter somebody and they have had a stress test that they have failed we find that if they repeat that a year a year after being on the program it's either markedly improved or it's back to normal we like that we do <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting
0: um all right this next question is from heidi Cooks. heidi cooks plants um and we've heard a lot about the this lpa number mm-hmm. right so her question is is there a way to improve one's lpa number what dietary changes would you suggest if you're already eating a whole food plant-based diet
1: yeah, and, I, and
0: first, could you back up and tell people what is LPA? Yeah, well, Lp, LP small a, a is, yeah.
1: a, is a, a sort of a form of cholesterol. And when you think about it, it's estimated that roughly 20% of Americans will have an elevated Lp small a. But <clears throat> that same figure applies to rural China, hmm. Central Africa, the Papua Highlands, Okinawa, the Tarahumara Indians, where is their epidemic of heart disease? All right? So if they're eating whole food, plant-based diet, and you're making what we call an endothelial fortress, remember the endothelial cells are those that line the inside of the artery. If you have an endothelial fortress from eating without any injury to it, then even if you have an extra molecule of LP small A coursing through your bloodstream, that should not be deleterious or injure you. So
0: the LP little a, is is that a form of LDL or or is this... A
1: a form of cholesterol, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. Um, So again, we want to have an endothelial fortress. That's it. Okay. Um, A lot of people that jump in eating a whole food plant-based diet... It seems like a lot of times their triglycerides go up a little bit. So here's somebody, Celestua, that wants to know the best way to lower triglycerides.
1: Yeah, you want to be careful of simple carbohydrates. By that, I mean, for instance, you want to avoid dried fruit. Mm-hmm. All right? You want to think about avoiding uh, smoothies, which is, especially which may have You may have put in the smoothie an apple, an orange, a banana. And when you do that, you separate the fructose in the fruit from the fiber. So now, whereas ordinarily, when you're just eating the fruit, the absorption would be rather measured and slow and safe. When you put it in the smoothie, and now you separate the fructose from the fiber, Mm -hmm. it's like a rocket going off in your stomach. And suddenly there's a potential injury to your liver and and, uh, to... uh, uh, your uh, endothelium as well. Yep. So, uh, but you want really to also avoid uh, the processed foods, which may have hidden sugar or white white flour. Those are the things you want to try to uh, avoid. It But alcohol, alcohol is notorious. Yeah. I mean, I will frequently hear a patient say, Dr. Esselstyn, my." triglycerides are having trouble. And I said, well, do you ever drink alcohol? I said, yeah, but I only have three glasses of wine a night <laughs> just to relax.
0: Well, just one glass will do it. Yeah,
1: I know when I was doing my pilot study for
0: the engine t- first book, Engine 2 Diet, in 2007, 2008, and I had my pilot study participants, 62 of them, and I had like three. Their triglycerides, when yeah. they first started, were fine. And then as a celebration, right, the last night when they were done, some had a glass of wine, some had one or two beers, and their triglycerides were like 200, 250. (laughs) And it was that one glass of wine. Incredible. Um, Okay, this is from Zero Waste Middle. And the question is, my husband has a fibrillating heart and may get an ablation soon. Can food choices do anything for this? He used to be very fit and athletic, but now um, his
1: ability to do sports is much lower. Yeah, uh, fibrillation is probably atrial fibrillation is probably the most common uh, arrhythmia that is uh, seen in the in the uh, in the public, and uh, we ought to talk a little bit about uh, how that evolves. Remember that the in the right upper uh, atrium. There is a SA node, the sinoauricular node. That is the master spark plug when we all have a contraction of the heart. The SA node fires. Then there's this beautiful rhythmic contraction of the upper chambers to the lower chambers of the heart. Now, what happens in atrial fibrillation is that there seems to develop several of these smaller Spark plugs that want to get in on the act. So, as soon as your SA node fires its usual normal contraction, one of these smaller spark clubs will fire. Instead of getting a nice lub mm. dub, lub dub, lub dub, it'll be lub dub, lub, lub, lub dub, lub dub. It's a very inefficient uh, mm-hmm. contraction. Now, there are several ways that this is managed. One is they all do what we call a conversion, where you may be asleep for two or three seconds, then they zap you, and your rhythm, your normal sinus rhythm will come back, but sometimes that doesn't last for more than half an hour, or it may last a day or two. So they also, we use medication, but that really just sort of slows the rate of your heartbeat and makes it, and tries to make it more efficient. So ablation is increasingly I think picking up speed as those physicians who do ablation become more and more skillful at doing this because there's no question that if you follow a thousand people who are fibrillating and a thousand who have normal sinus rhythm there'll be a higher mortality in those who have the irregular rhythm. So I would really encourage those who've had a got a who've had a stubborn Atrial fibrillation that hasn 't rapidly converted back to normal with medication or drugs to seriously think about an ablation in the hands of somebody who has great expertise with this because it can be very effective in resolving the issue mm-hmm. you
0: no know, it's surprising I feel like i I swim with a bunch of masters people, and have for twenty five years and it seems like a handful of them are now having this. Atrial fibrillation. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And the other th- group that seems to be uh, okay. developing it are, believe it or not, some very, very fit people who are long distance runners, mm-hmm. and it's uh, there's a there's a higher incidence of atrial fibrillation that develops in those.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was there an article that was in the New York Times about that? Could, <laughs> Could have been. Could have been. <laughs> All right. Um, This is from Herring Family Travel. My total cholesterol and LDL went up after eating plant-based for three years. I follow the no oil, no nuts, coconut, etc. Does this mean that I potentially have familial hypercholesterolemia, and am I doomed to take a cholesterol-lowering medication?
1: Uh, What is this cholesterol?
0: You know what? This this was not given. That was not included? Okay. It was not included. But, so, but let's say his cholesterol was 270. Would you say there was familial hypercholesterol? Uh, he, was
1: it his LDL that went up, or was it his total cholesterol that went up? Or uh, it it know, says both. It says both went they, they, up. They say
0: both went up. But <laughs> yeah. we, we don't know what exactly they were eating. I mean, we know that. We had,
1: yeah, it's it's so hard to really uh, answer that with any degree of, uh, of insight. Unless, you know, you have some sort of a diet diary and you really can follow that along. Otherwise, we're just yeah. uh, really sort of treading water.
0: But do you, in your opinion, when you have a total cholesterol or and or an LDL that's above a certain number, is that now an indication that you have familial hypercholesterolemia?
1: You know, it, actually, where you're going to have the breakover point for hypercholesterolemia is really not, in my estimation, that is not yet really clearly defined. And uh, I think the important thing is if somebody does want to clarify whether they're in a safe range or not, and let's say they're doing the very best they can from a nutritional standpoint, they're not eating anything, anything with cholesterol, they don't seem to be eating anything that would stimulate their hepatic production of cholesterol, And yet, uh, they don't want to commit to getting on board with a lot of statins and perhaps the side effects that come with statins. They have to know that they can get some reassurance about how their blood vessel's doing if they get a inflammatory panel. Hmm. We've talked about that a little earlier today. The inflammatory panel will help them to define whether there's any inflammation, and if all those inflammatory indices are normal, then you don't have any inflammation in your blood vessels. You should be feeling pretty confident. Yeah, I know we've had some. I mean, I've I I have I have lived with somebody, and when actually, it was not many many people who have since I started this back thirty four years ago. They've never been able to get their cholesterol much below two hundred. Mm-hmm. they're perfectly fine mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well I know that we had a family that came to one of our um, emer- immersion retreats and there before cholesterol the whole family was in the 300s one was in
1: the 400s oh that then that is right that is familial happier cholesterol yes. but they can even help
0: well and then they, they were able to bring it down yeah into the high 200s right but which is you know but, but they can. That's uh, higher than most.
1: Yeah. yeah. But they should also, you know, check their inflammatory indices. Yeah. Um.
0: This is from Terry Williams regarding vascular Parkinsonism, which I'm I'm not familiar with.
1: You? No. That that, that, that suggests that suggests that there must be some degree of vascular uh, uh, blood vessel problem in the head and. Uh, I'm not quite sure uh, about that, but I can say this yeah. we have had multiple occasions where people, for instance, with a carotid artery going to their brain, and even once the artery that is blocked is inside the brain, we have seen remarkable examples of disease halting and reversal, yeah hmm. so that even if that so if that is due to vascular parkinson's is is due to disease of the blood vessels that this could certainly have a very positive effect.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good to know because they go on to say that, you know, I get the stroke effects that are that are current um and may not be reversed, but wondering if it would stop the progression. So it it sounds like anything that's kind of going on in the brain like that, there's 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 a potential for a lot of help. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ann Pottick wants to know, will you talk, Dr. Esselstyn, about the role of fats, particularly avocados, nuts, and coconut, parentheses, which is full of saturated fat, in a whole food plant-based, no oil, and minimal salt diet? I ask because my total and LDL numbers go up if I don't keep my consumption of these items low which makes sense, right? Yeah,
1: saturated fat will
0: stimulate the liver to crank more cholesterol. Yeah. But but she also would love to know if you could expand on it the role of avocados, nuts and obviously we know coconut is 92% saturated fat. Right. But what about avocados and nuts and why are you such a taskmaster on that?
1: Well, I guess it's because I hate to see failure in my patients. And I uh, I guess when you compare the results that we've been able to achieve uh, and when we compare them with other results I have I have nothing but great admiration and respect for anybody who's trying to be a physician who's committing to this but uh, I find I think I find that our program is about as stringent as anybody's and uh, uh, so I guess th- The reason that we succeed perhaps where others fail is that nobody else is as mean as I am. (laughs) And so this gets back to the question you asked about the avocado and the nuts. Let's take the nuts first. Now, uh, if I happen to say that it's okay for somebody to have three walnuts on their cereal in the morning, that's not what people will hear. They'll hear that they say, Dr. Esselstyn said that nuts were okay. And they'll be in the glove compartment. They'll be in the bathroom, the kitchen, the bedroom, the hallway, the living room. Nuts are highly addicting. And they have a lot of saturated fat. Saturated fat is a real rascal for contributing to heart disease. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I took away the avocado and the nuts. And we're not, in other words, we're completely eliminating any of the building blocks of this disease. And I w- I'm not going to apologize for success.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about some of your...
1: No, there's one other thing But you asked. Besides nuts, there was something else.
0: It was coconuts.
1: Well, more saturated fat.
0: Yeah. Um, but some of your colleagues think that it's very important for people to consume some nuts and seeds, and, and, and they're advocating for one ounce, one ounce a day. You yeah. even feel like one ounce is, is too much. I,
1: I feel that's what my colleagues want. That's not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, I want my patients there's, to succeed. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: There, so there's no ambiguity around yeah. this. Well, what
1: we want to do is we I want to see the other's st- studies the similar result, mm-hmm. and when I then I'll then I'll be more open minded about it. Uh-huh. So even.
0: The wonderful, beautiful walnut. You're you're not a fan. Uh, we understand the no, almonds of cashews. I would say, you know,
1: for instance, uh, I'll say it, but nobody should hear me say
0: it. <laughs> okay, this is just between <laughs> yeah between us right now.
1: It's probably having having a few walnuts on your cereal that I mean that's so safe because it's so much lower in in the mischief makers, It's lower in saturated fat. But yeah. I I don't do that because. People will immediately transfer that to saying it's okay to have nuts, and now we're in, then we'll be in trouble. Yeah. And where are the, where are all the studies of patients seriously ill with heart disease who have ever halted and reversed their disease with nuts? Yeah. <laughs> and although, and so many of the peer-reviewed scientific articles, who do you suppose does the funding for those articles? Uh, the nut companies right Always. Okay. Oh, so when there's that conflict Blue Diamond when there's that conflict we gotta you know that raises a red flag
0: what's up Ann I can't believe you got him to say that well you need to talk to him <laughs> <laughs> uh, Um having a bad day <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay so this is from somebody return to Jehovah. um I have several questions for Dr. Esselstyn, but let's start with this one. I've been eating whole food plant-based since November of 2021. Is there any reason to think that my blood would need to be artificially thinned by a drug? My doctor says I've had a few instances of AFib and put me on Eliquis. I think it gives me headaches and I don't want to take it. I'm not eating any animal products and have eliminated oils as much as possible, thank you. Well,
1: no, the the, the key thing here is that the patient has said that they were having atrial fibrillation. And you cannot uh, be cavalier about atrial fibrillation because remember, what is atrial fibrillation? There's that irregular beating of the heart. And what happens in the left atrium, the left atrium has a small extension on it called the the atrial appendix, The left atrial appendix, because of this irregular heartbeat, often the blood just sits in that appendix. And when the blood is sitting in that appendix in your left atrium, it clots. Mm -hmm. And then what happens from time to time when there is a full contraction of the heart, the clot that is in that left atrial appendix now goes out Into the left ventricle and then it goes out into your circulation and that is the cause of the clots that are notorious in people who are having atrial fibrillation so if that patient is having regular episodes of atrial fibrillation it is quite reasonable to ask that patient to be anticoagulated to have their blood thin so that they will not form a clot in that appendix if they're fibrillating
0: right so, so it's probably a good idea for this person to be on this. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Read you loud and clear there. Um, this question is from Terry Eats Plants. Dr. Estelston, would you please um, let me know whether a whole food plant-based diet can impact, again, here, here it is again, so
1: familial hypercholesterolemia. I feel like yeah, I great. think that there certainly can be a, some benefits in that because when you do that, you're going to be making yourself this endothelial <laughs> fortress, which will really work in your behalf and protect you.
0: Third time we've talked about that fortress. Um, have you ever heard uh, of a something called citrus bergomet to get LDL cholesterol levels? I've down? never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. Uh, all right, well, there you go. Terry eats plants. Um, Keep eating whole food, plant-based. This is from TI42106. (laughs) Doesn't sound very human, does it? Sounds like a neighbor. (laughs) What are your opinions on different types of cardio exercise? Sprinting is very popular right now, but I have my doubts that it's ideal for longevity. Related, seriously, are marathons healthy or harmful to the old ticker? what are your thoughts on exercise
1: yeah i think exercise is no question it's a bonus and uh, as a bonus you want to have you want to have it be something that you look forward to uh, as on a regular basis so uh if i doubt that there are going to be many people who are going to do the extreme exact ex- exercise to exhaustion but you get just as much benefit whether you're regularly walking at a certain distance, you may be jogging, you may be biking, you can be swimming. It just seems to be important that you do it on a regular basis and maybe get your heart rate up uh, a little bit. But that type of regular exercise plus whole food plant-based nutrition Then you're you're, you know you're likely to have your vessels be as eternal as someone from Central Africa (laughs) or the Papua Highlands. Yeah.
0: So, um, speaking of exercise, have you exercised yet today? Are you doing anything? I
1: have. I went today. It was kind of walking. So, excuse me. Today it was raining mildly now when it's raining mildly i can't do what i almost regularly do which is bike biking because when you bike in the rain you don't see well <laughs> so i i went ahead and i did some uh, walking today
0: right well also riding in the rain it can be slippery and that's not that, that's not a good conversation i'm familiar with that <laughs> yeah yeah but 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 typically you're are you biking every day every day and do you what how, for how long
1: uh, usually it's about 40 minutes. Uh, there's a sc- nice uh, driveway into a uh, private school over here where they don't seem to object object to my riding <laughs> with the several hills in it. And I get uh, usually about three laps uh, there and I've gotten into the red zone a little bit. pulse rate is up. I'm sweating. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's hit the bonus part.
0: I I know that. And and do you come up that one hill at all?
1: Yeah, always.
0: (laughs) That's good. Three loops of that. Absolutely. Um, Okay, let's move on. This is uh, Ms. Dermot Path 1. Can your HDL be too high? Hers used to be 32. It's now 70, which that's quite a jump. Um, and her total cholesterol is 162. And she has a family history of cardiovascular disease. Um, So she's concerned.
1: I think we ought to kind of review the the HDL cholesterol. Now, back in the 1970s, 80s, maybe even the early 90s, and some people who are not informed even today, it was felt that a high HDL cholesterol was was protective, This all began to change for me about 34 years ago when the very first group of patients that I was studying, these were largely men, nothing against women, but these were men, and the accepted low low normal level of HDL cholesterol for men is 40 milligrams per deciliter. Within about two or three months of starting that study, every single one of those men had dropped their HDL cholesterol into the low 30s, but at the same time, they were losing weight, Mm -hmm. at the same time, they were losing symptoms of heart disease, and when we carefully studied them, they were reversing their disease all with a lower than normal level of HDL cholesterol, and Ornish was was noticing the same thing. So the next great study that happened was uh, when Pfizer, invented a drug that was going to end all heart disease. It was called Torsetribib. It was half of the pill was Lipitor, which would drop your bad LDL cholesterol. The other half was Torsetribib, which would take your HDL cholesterol over 100 through the roof. And it was interesting that just about the time that Pfizer was going to bring this drug out onto the public because it was going to end all heart disease, the chairman of Pfizer got a phone call from the chairman of the Independent Monitoring Committee. Mr. Pfizer, chairman, we have a problem. Okay, what's that? Well, in the group that was uh, <laughs> the control group, there have been 51 deaths. However, in the Torreceptor group, there were 81 deaths. It was killing people. Mm. So, fortunately, it didn't, never came out. Then the next thing that came out about HDL was from Dan Rader and his team from the University of Pennsylvania. They drew blood on 2,000 patients. They measured the HDL cholesterol. Some were high, some were medium, some were low. Then they did a fascinating thing. They took each of those cholesterols and they measured its capacity to do its job of reverse cholesterol transport. And what they found was there was absolutely no relationship whatsoever to the measured blood level of HDL cholesterol and its ability to do its job of reverse cholesterol transport. Then the next and the final thing that was interesting, the very next month, as a matter of fact, that uh, that study that I mentioned about Dan Rader and his team from the University of Pennsylvania, that was in the New England Journal of Medicine in January of 2011, uh, it was the, on the 13th of January, and it was the very next month of uh, cardiovascular review, the team from UCLA had particularly looked at the ApoA1, which is the protein portion, the protein moiety of the HDL molecule. And they found that when you were eating the Western diet, you injured that ApoA1. And you converted your HDL molecule from, normally, a strong, positive, anti-inflammatory molecule. When you injure the ApoA1, it becomes a pro-inflammatory molecule. So now your HDL is joining with your LDL to injure you.
0: Hmm. So it almost becomes like a rogue. A rogue yeah. HDL.
1: Yeah,
0: um, you know what's interesting because I've now looked at probably two thousand different cholesterol levels: HDL, LDL. Women typically seem to always have the those high mm-hmm. those high HDLs, like in the seventies, eighties, nineties.
1: Well, I had a patient who was, she still is doing beautifully, but when she came to see me, she had just had a heart attack, and her cholesterol HDL was one hundred and twenty. <laughs>
0: And inner inner cardiologist probably told her. It would be yeah. Possible. Oh, it
1: was a protective. Well, right. that was right. that's been blown out of the water. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's interesting because, what, what is, what is so important for patients to understand is that when you are eating whole food plant based nutrition, which mm-hmm. is so anti inflammatory, that right. as your body loses its inflammation. Your liver says, I'm going to make less HDL. You do not need as much anti-inflammatory molecule of HDL as I was giving you before. And this is so profound that when physicians are skeptical about these findings, tell them about what is the average HDL level of the Tarahumara Indians in northern Mexico who never have heart disease. When Bill Connor studied them, The average HDL was 25, which would drive the unknowing cardiologist absolutely apoplectic.
0: Right, right. Well, I have found that most people, after they do our seven-day immersion program or take the Plan Strong Challenge, their HDL, if they're getting their numbers tested, typically comes down 10 to 15%. There
1: you go. They have less inflammation in their body, they need less right. HDL.
0: Right. Right. So I think if you the, the, the I think the moral of this story is if you're eating whole food plant based and your HDL comes down below forty, it's okay. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the endothelial fortress. That's the most <laughs> important thing. Um, yeah. all right, here we go. Last question. A recent this is from where you want to go <laughs> a recent scan revealed mild atherosclerosis I I'm vegan and have been for eight years but we know that vegan doesn't food plant-based which foods should be avoided and is the buildup that I have reversible
1: yeah I, usually a, a small one one of the things that we found is that when you have an atherosclerotic plaque burden and it's in somebody who is young and uh, uh, that it's interesting that uh the the plaque is usually made up of inflammation fat and cholesterol which is something the body can handle very well for reversing on the other hand on the other hand when you have somebody who's more senior Mm. and they've had this plaque for decades. The plaque is more likely to be made up of actually scar, fibrosis, calcification, and it's less likely to to go away when you're eating whole food, plant-based nutrition, however. But what we've also found is nevertheless, even those patients can get back to full activity of daily living without restriction. Why? because now this is a little bit complicated so hold on <laughs> okay i'm going to focus because i want to what <clears throat> the arteries that uh, get all the publicity are the right coronary artery the left anterior descending and the circumflex those are the three main vessels and then they branch well where do they go when they branch they all dive where they're supposed to go. They dive into the heart muscle, and then they interdigitate and connect with each other so that on, on a slide, actually, that you gave me, you yeah. can see these thousands and thousands of intramuscular vessels connecting and, and uh, uh, really joining, and it's really right, impressive how thorough the vascularity is of the uh, uh, heart. So it was a time... When I did a a study of what we call PET scans, and a PET scan shows that if the heart muscle is orange or yellow, it's getting a good blood supply, and then there's a patch on the side where it's green, it's poor blood supply. I counsel the patient the day he has the PET scan. He comes back three weeks later, we repeat the PET scan. The part that was green is now orange or yellow. It's reperfused, now wait a minute. I said to myself, because there's no way that you're going to reverse, in three weeks, you're not going to reverse this blockage. Why did this happen? So I talked to Rodriguez, who is the chairman of the Cleveland Clinic Cardiovascular Pathology Section, who does 200 uh, autopsies and looks at a heart uh, through an uh, autopsy perspective uh, 200 times a year. And I asked Rodriguez, I said, how often, when you look at the vessels of this these hearts, how often do you ever see atherosclerotic burden once the artery has dived into the heart muscle? Mm-hmm. His answer, never. Mm. Now I had the answer. Because why were we getting all this reperfusion of blood supply? Because when I first see these patients, Their endothelial cells are so beaten down, they're barely making nitric oxide, which is that wonderful vessel dilator. And your endothelial cells have now become your enemy. They are making two molecules, endothelin and thromboxane, which are blood vessel constrictors. So literally, all those intramuscular vessels, although they have no blockage inside them... They are all crimped and pinched and narrowed because of spasm from these endothelin and thromboxane. So what's beautiful to see is suddenly when the patients get it and they've been counseled and they stop eating anything that is going to further injure or impair their endothelial cells, the nitric oxide, the vessel dilator, increases and they totally stop making the endothi- Endothelin and thromboxane. So, these, all these intramuscular vessels suddenly open up. Mm. So when all those intramuscular vessels open up, that reminds you of Poisset's law of flow through the hollow viscous. Remember in your days in physics, translation, a tiny increase in diameter, an enormous increase. In flu, in blood flow, which is why these patients often, especially the ones that have chest pain or angina, within six, eight, or ten days, they'll say, "I don't know what's going on, but my pain is going away." Yeah. And then you've got them hooked.
0: Yeah. Well, it's incredible to me that it can happen that quickly—a yeah. matter of a week—yeah, where you can oh, actually yeah. notice oh, a difference, yeah. and 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 the um the dilation occurs, and the what were the two? And
1: and thromboxane. Yeah,
0: yeah, those guys. <laughs>
1: those that'll, guys go that'll, away. <laughs> that'll not be part of your vocabulary.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, so I do have a question for you. Yesterday, I actually was talking to a, a firefighter <clears throat> from Southern California, forty-five years old, and um, he was concerned. His total cholesterol was two forty-three. He had a calcium a calcium score of a hundred and four. Which at the age of forty-five, put him in the ninetieth percentile.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so he was very concerned. And, sure. And he's going to go back for another calcium score, and it's probably going to go up. Going to go up. Let's, let's so talk can, about can that. You, can you talk about oh, that? Oh yeah.
1: I learned about calcium score in some deaths a number of years ago from uh, William Castelli. Bill Castelli for thirty years was the director of the world famous Framingham Heart Study outside of Boston. And Castelli said this. Castelli said, if if a physician orders a calcium score, it's going to give you two pieces of information. One is that you will see the calcium, and you'll know that the patient does have coronary artery disease, where some of these smaller plaques on the side of the vessels have gotten calcified. He said it also tells you, but does not show you, that that patient also has, therefore, a number of non-calcified inflamed plaque which are the ones that are more uh, dangerous and subject to rupture but he said let's take the example of somebody who has a calcium score and it's 440 but they absolutely get it right and the next year they are totally committed to whole food plant-based nutrition then they have another calcium score and it is now 550. Mm -hmm. But the patient, he said, is much better off because what has happened during that year that the patient has been consuming this highly anti-inflammatory diet, the ca- their inflammation is going down. And he said it is as though the body would like to get in on the act and it will deposit some calcium in those previously non-calcified inflamed plaque to help hasten along the quelling of that inflammation. Mm. And that leads us to the fact that so often in patients who are totally committed to improving their well-being with whole food plant-based nutrition, what happens is their calcium score will go up. And they must not be told that they're getting worse because they're actually getting better why because when you have calcified those previously non-calcified inflamed plaque and they've lost their inflammation they're not going to rupture and hurt you
0: yeah well it sounds like too if you have everything else that is is showing that the inflammation is coming down um your inflammation markers your cholesterol your ldl all those things then then this this actually it makes it makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. But people have to be educated that what's exa- what is going on, so they don't freak out. Because a lot of times, probably their cardiologist might say, "Hey, I'm concerned here," so they're not really aware of what Costelli told right. you. That's right. Do you know if if Castelli's still alive?
1: I I'm I'm assuming he is. I'm, but I don't know. I'm sure he must be. He well, he's right. he's a few years older <laughs> than
0: I am. All right. Well. Okay. <laughs> uh, so. Um, what you got going on this summer? You Got anything exciting you're looking forward to?
1: Well, I think the exciting thing this summer is to is to be up at the uh, up at the farm, and it's uh, it's always great to be uh, to be at the farm, and uh, there's a lot going on in the in terms of uh, I like to do some mowing to keep the farm up up to trim and looking stylish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got we may uh, get a few project projects involved whether we'll do it be able to get it this year or not but there's a little red house on the hill that um has where i got married yeah exactly and that's that's you know, taken a few hits uh, over the years and it it really deserves to be restored right yeah some
0: nice projects at the farm mm-hmm. i look forward to being there for a couple of weeks in, uh, in, in, in july <laughs> is there anything um professionally that you're sinking your teeth in right now are you got you well i think it,
1: yeah i think the thing that, that really makes me so um, passionate uh, about what i see is the the seismic revolution in health is is before us and uh, the seismic revolution in health that we that you see is really not going to come about from a p- drug or a pill or a stent or bypass surgery, but the seismic revolution in health that will come about will be when we in the profession have the will and the grit and the determination to share with the public what is the lifestyle, and most specifically, what is the nutritional literacy that will empower them to absolutely annihilate chronic illness.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is exciting, and it's amazing how far... When you think about it, how far this movement has come since you initially dug your teeth into this in 1984. And I can't imagine how how pleased you are and the amount of people that are now following your your slipstream, like the Brian Aspels and others. (laughs) It is it is impressive if it
1: works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ann, can you come share with us what's for dinner tonight? What's for dinner tonight? Come on, mommy. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Thank you. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. Come here. Let everybody know what's for dinner tonight, because I know you've been very excited about working on this. Will you? Will you sit right here? And...
1: We are really excited <laughs> about dinner tonight
0: because you got the... you got a phone ne- ringing. <laughs> neighbors told us about these amazing nori uh, sushi stacks. So we're having a sushi stack. <laughs> and Jane and I are going to do a YouTube on it soon. And it is so fun. And we I've been waiting to have Rip try it. And then we're having asparagus. I can smell it. Yeah. And we're having a fabulous dessert, my favorite dessert. What is it? Which is blueberry, cherry, Somebody. mousse with all kinds of fruit. Anyway... <laughs> And so, doesn't matter. The phone's ringing, and we just want to talk to you. <laughs> all right, <Bye>. we we, <laughs> you know, It's probably Jane. All right, over and out. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks, Daddy. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, Rip. My right. pleasure. Bye.
0: I want you all to know how much I appreciate you listening to the Plan Strong podcast. I would love it if you would share this episode with anyone that you think will benefit from hearing the good news about plants. Remember, keep your loved ones near, build an endothelium fortress, and always keep it Plant Strong. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kortowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Ann Creil Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.